Welcome back, everyone, to another mini-sode of The Occasionalists. Matt Pagel here, once again, with a riled-up Adam Chemaluski. Uh Chema, how we doing, my man? Trying to calm down, but everything's good. We just had some off-air off, um, conversation about politics. Chema and, you know, and I just spent the last several days hashing over some po- political uh, information and just just throwing our fists in the air. Um, yep. it, was, it, was, it, was a traumatic, it was a traumatic few days for us. All we did was just agree with each other and have the same conversation over and over again. Very pretty weird. Much, pretty much. <laughs> anyway, we are here with this mini-sode. Um, you know, previously, in a previous episode, we decided to make Marvel more serious, more legit. Let's get them some, some legitimate awards here. Well, we're going to do more or less the opposite of that. And we're going to go ahead and take on the DCEU. And we're going to make sure that these DC characters and superheroes, we're going to loosen the screws a little bit. We're going to make it a little bit more fun. Um, so what we're going to do here real quickly, we're just going to go through, highlight some of the existing f- fun shows and movies. And I put fun in quotes because, you know, that's a little bit subjective, but <laughs> we're going to talk about the ones that we find th- that are a little bit funnier. Maybe they are, in fact, straight comedies or whatever. And we're going to highlight the things that they do right and maybe how we can spread this formula just a little bit wider throughout the, you know, throughout the rest of the DCEU. And then we're going to cover a movie franchise and a show that we think needs an injection of fun. And we're going to give our own rebooted fun version of both a movie and a show so that's pretty pretty straightforward here so chama what is already in the dceu that is fun okay so the first two things that come to my mind are i'm sorry first three things are shazam definitely shazam Mm -hmm. almost is like the pinnacle example of like fun and Mm lighthearted and then you also have uh birds of prey and the suicide squad not even going to acknowledge suicide squad just the suicide squad (laughs) yes exactly so thank you for stopping me and uh um these uh with birds of prey and with the suicide squad these are more like fun in an adult kind of way yeah and um with shazam and the wholesomeness i mean just for starters this theme of family and everything and the mm-hmm. story about this kid and having the powers of Shazam and like the fucking family that they pick is just solid gold in oh, yes. terms of like Very good. A, an on-screen family mm-hmm. and stuff. And, and then even in the end, when like all of his adopted brothers and sisters get the Shazam powers, that's just like fucking, it's, it's just like, you know, tears coming to the eyes yeah. and stuff and everything oh, yeah. like that. It, it's kind of like that family entertainment that, um, you know, I don't normally like subject myself to, but when I do watch, it seems to take me back to when I was younger and I wasn't it, allowed to watch movies. Like, Sh- Shazam violent. feels exactly. Shazam feels like one of the best, one of the things that you, that you and I and Doug and Adam and Yaks or whomever else would have all gone to the theater to go see together when we were yeah, like 11, 12. Dude, it is like Beethoven with superheroes yep. and stuff. <laughs> I'm telling you. And um, with Birds of Prey and with the Suicide Squad, these are more like adult fun in the sense that they have <clears throat> really great and really fun to watch characters. The There's F-bombs and stuff like that, so they can get a little bit more away with more in terms of the language, which sometimes translates into awesome comebacks and witty jabs and awesome lines that you definitely can't get in a PG to PG-13 format. And the way that they have this fun is just kind of like the the sick twisted fucking action movie fun of heads getting blown up and people getting thrown through Mm -hmm. walls and stuff with 
awesome little one-liners and everything like that afterwards so it's more of like a um it's just more of like an adult way to to, to have fun and the, the movie is almost like um it's almost just like the movies are geared for like they know their their audiences and stuff like that and like the suicide squad and um birds of prey going with the r rating they know exactly who the hell they're marketing to they know exactly the type of people that are going to go see that movie and they um, play to their strengths in really great ways. Same as Shazam. I totally, totally agree. Um, yeah, the, the 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 Suicide Squad and Birds of Prey leaned into this idea of let's just be ridiculous. Like mm-hmm. let's let's be ridiculous in a way that is sort of reminiscent of um, of more classic action movies, of more of these things that like let's have the blood spray everywhere. Let's let's just really lean into the kind of I mean these are people adults dressed up like fucking kids so why don't we just lean into the inherent ridiculousness of it and they do of course and they and they strike the right balance of and i'm going to talk about that here in a minute they strike the right balance of of being fun and just silly enough without Mm -hmm. crossing a line to where it's like cartoonish that's exactly right dude they seem to walk on that fine line as absolutely perfect as you possibly can and stuff. Cause it almost seems like even with um, the birds of prey and the suicide squad, they're each about like 10 or 15 lines from being just like completely campy and ridiculous and stuff. Mm-hmm. But there's still a lot of substance. Um, and there's still like a lot to identify with in terms of the characters. Mm-hmm. There's still a lot of, um, you know, like uh, there, there's still just like a lot of like great back and forth and everything like that. And there's a lot more depth and layered in some of these other movies because they walk that line so well. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree with you there. And I'm glad you I'm, I'm glad you started there with the Suicide Squad and Birds of Prey. So I don't have to I don't have to dive too deeply into them because I agree with all that. You hit it right on the head. You can throw Peacemaker in there as a TV show that mm-hmm. walks the same line. Obviously, it was birthed out of the Suicide Squad. So that makes perfect sense. Um, but the peacemaker hits those same notes of being just ridiculous enough, but but keeping but keeping an edge to it, so it's not just straight silly. Because that show, there there's some moments where it's like Jesus Christ, this is ridiculous. But mm-hmm. it, those moments don't last too long, and they don't overwhelm everything else that's going on. Right, and those little hokey moments are also then uh, supplemented by stuff that's just really fucking good that like not a lot of people are doing in terms mm-hmm. of superhero television programming. Exactly. Exactly. So I'll, I'll, I'll agree with you there. I'll add to that. Um, so since you mentioned those ones, I'll add to that as well. Aquaman strikes a great balance of being fun and yeah. kind of leaning into the silliness, which, but again, not too hard, which is interesting because there's like fucking talking fish people and shit. So right. like it, Aquaman could be super campy. Like, it, it mm-hmm. could be super campy, but they managed to keep it at just the right amount of camp. Um, and then I'll go to two two lesser-known ones, and certainly lesser-viewed ones. I'll start with um, the CW's offering Legends of Tomorrow. Um, mm-hmm. I've seen a few episodes of it. I, it's one of those ones I feel like I want to watch it, but, like, I don't know how much of the other stuff I have to watch. Yeah, like, I gotcha. I, so, like, I don't know. We'll see. But I've seen a few episodes of it. It's got a good cast. And it's, it is one of those – it's one of those shows that – it it's like you know what we'll go ahead and take the camp we'll, we'll we'll be the we'll be the show that does the things that are a little bit ridiculous we'll put our superheroes in stupid time travel situations in dumb mm-hmm. costumes they'll get dumb one liners we'll hang out with fucking hippies at a commune and get high um, like it's that show is just like we are having fun and we know that we're having fun and we're self aware yeah. and it's totally okay and 
you buy into it, right? So like mm-hmm. it's, it's it's totally good for that. And I think in terms of the in terms of one of the of the lesser known ones that has the best balance of fun, silliness, and serious seriousness is Doom Patrol. Oh um, yeah, really solid. It's it's I think it works so well because it's invested in being a comedy first. So then when they slow down to have like those emotional moments and like some reflection on on the the past events or what you know what brought them to this point those emotional moments hit much harder because they are punctuated in between some absolute craziness. Um, oh yeah. Can't, I think, and I think that's actually gotten better as the seasons have gone on too. They've done a better job really making those emotional moments stand out. Um, and I, I'm, I'm one of those, I am a big fan of doom patrol. I think it's fucking fantastic. Oh dude. I'm glad that you brought up doom patrol because that right there is just the, it's just absurdity at its best in terms of like a comic book universe and everything. And once again, great um, little observation there about the way that they, you know, slow things down and kind of punch you in the gut with some of the drama stuff. It, but it's just all so buried into this like sea of just brilliant absurdity that mm-hmm. they do. And I mean, that show like it's got the voiceover narration and stuff and Alan Tudyk, you know, it's like a very aware of itself, like self-aware on a, on a level that I don't think that most um, comic book shows are. Right. And like when it does get like um, very dramatic, it's just like, wow, holy shit. Like this show can be dramatic. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden you're kind of experiencing um, some of these things that like the characters have gone through, like even with like um, with Robot Man and like his accident or um, J- Jane, like a multiple personalities, mm-hmm. Jane, like I- I've only seen up, I've, I think I've like a couple episodes into season two, um, okay. but, but you start to get into like a little bit more of like what's going on with her and then some of all these other personalities and like all of a sudden, like, you know, maybe 10 or 15 minutes go by and it's like, Jesus Christ, like I didn't know this show could do that. I mm-hmm. have no fucking clue. No, it's it's it. They really Doom Patrol really hits those notes really well. Um, this this past season, season three was um, it's the it's the Rita Far season um, where Rita is sort of the more or less the main uh, the main mm-hmm. crux of everything that happens. And so you get like in it, and there's time travel and all kinds of other shit involved. So you get some like there's some really really highly emotional and like really charged scenes um, as as she travels through time. Um, and then, but then like you get this, one of my favorite, one of my favorite scenes from this, from this past season, they introduced this one character who, uh, Gargawax the Decimator. And mm-hmm. he, it's this, uh, this very bizarre like, green alien. And, um, they send him on a mission to, uh, to a retirement community or to a summer camp in, in, uh, Florida. And <laughs> he's staked, he's staking out, going to assassinate one of the, one of the members of the Doom Patrol. And, as he 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 makes he, he tells the um, tells the the supervillain that sent him he's like don't worry I'll keep a low profile and it cuts to him making his entrance into like the dining hall and it's, this is like in like the 1940s so his like um, I don't know his servant walks through first playing like an old crank radio you know an old crank record player with yeah. like this like grand entrance theme music and then he yells out that he's Gargoax the Decimator, destroyer of worlds, eater of planets, the subjugator of whatever and like that's him keeping a low profile. Yeah, of course. <laughs> it's, I mean it's fucking fantastic. <laughs> Yeah, I got to get caught up with that and stuff because I really enjoyed what I've seen so far. And, like, you can't go wrong with Timothy Dalton. You just fucking can't. Yeah, yeah. It's it's really good. Um, so, <clears throat> yeah, so is there – I mean, I don't know. I guess we'll, we can just jump right into this then. Um, so, like, what movie 
then would you would you say you know what movie franchise in the in the DC EU would you say needs that injection of fun? And then what would you do to sort of make it a little bit more fun? Oh, dude, I am going into the trenches on this one, and I'm going with the Snyderverse because that definitely needs an interjection of fun. That is for fucking sure. However, it's a lot of work. I'm not gonna lie. I went over a, a list of different things, and like it even starts with changing the names of the first two movies. I think uh, the Justice League, I think, is okay as far as the title goes, mm-hmm. and I'll kind of get into some of the Justice League as we go along here. But um, Man of Steel. It just sounds too depth. Like it's just got to be called like the Superman or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I would even take away the Batman versus Superman part and just call the second movie Dawn of Justice because the whole versus thing, I even think that implies like some heavy hitting, correct? Yeah. not fun stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like there's just, it's just not necessarily fun. There's not a lot of fun versus movies that come out and everything, except the kaiju kind of big monster stuff or whatever. Mm-hmm. But Frost, Frost versus Nixon, not fun. Not fun at all. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So <clears throat> when we're talking about the mechanics of the movie itself, there needs to be some revamping of not only the dialogue, but the presentation. And if I'm going to start off with like – Man of Steel and Batman vs Superman, um, and it, this is definitely in the Justice League too. But I, you know, the Justice League is by far the best one. But there needs to be like, it needs to move faster. The story needs to move faster, and this means like toning down a lot of the slow motion kind of shots that are maybe like a single shot of somebody falling that lasts three minutes and some of the grand displays that are in slow motion, I think need to just be kind of cropped down and Mm -hmm. need to be kind of reworked so that the movie itself flows much better. And it also has to have the same kind of thing with some of the dialogue. And there is a lot of dense as fuck dialogue in the first two movies here. You know, this combination of, uh, you know, God versus man type debate that we continuously have throughout the man of steel and Batman versus Superman. Mm -hmm. The, um, even some of the way that like the public's perception of a God and stuff like that. These are just really, really hardy stuff to have in like a comedy. You can still have some of it, but there's a, there's just a lot there that kind of needs to be revamped and everything. So in terms of the, the mechanics of the movies, those things are, are the things that I think that need to be to change the most. You can still have some of these fight scenes and everything, but like in terms of like what we're talking about, the, like the, the product itself and some of the fundamentals of the product, these are two things that, um, that have to be addressed. Then, What has to be done is finding the appropriate conduit to use this humor. And this right here is really important because in Man of Steel, like you get some comic relief with Perry, who's played by Lawrence Fishburne, the Mm -hmm. guy who runs like the Daily Planet, who's the editor and Mm -hmm. stuff. But there's not a lot of comic relief coming from elsewhere. If there was a Jimmy Olsen character in the Man of Steel, this would definitely be a front and center Jimmy Olsen moment. But instead, Jimmy Olsen was the camera guy that gets killed in the first three minutes of Batman vs. Superman. So they took away a comic relief opportunity to kind of do their own version in it, which of course is one of the many complaints about Batman vs. Superman from the eyes of the fans. Mm -hmm. But 
Man of Steel um, definitely could have used um, an influx of, of comic relief through other characters. And in Batman vs. Superman, it's a similar thing. And we have to go right to the heart of it, and we have to eliminate Lex Luthor as a form of this comic relief. Like, this can't happen. Jesse Eisenberg was definitely miscast um, big time, and they also, I feel, miswrote this character to be a caricature of of whatever the hell they were trying to go for, this rich kid, stuff like that, Mm -hmm. you know, who's maybe got a little bit of an evil side. But the fact that they... um, decided to make Lex Luthor a form of comic relief, I feel is kind of like a remnant of this stupid kind of trend that was going around at the time where like, hey, Ultron had a couple good liners, some Marvel villains had some one-liners. So let's try to make this DC, which is dark as fuck, but we're going to have one of the villains be humorous. It just doesn't add up. So what they would you know, have to do in this kind of situation is to find another conduit to transfer like that comic relief that Jesse Eisenberg was supposedly bringing. And like, it would be Batman's relationship with Alfred. You know, Alfred's got a couple of good one- mm-hmm. one-liners in there, but I feel that he could probably have some more. Um, you know, they could have like Perry once again at the, is at the Daily Planet. There's some comic relief there for Superman. If they didn't kill off Jimmy Olsen in the beginning, once again, another position that's like prime for comic relief. There could also be like other like little um, side characters that are used for comic relief like they do in Marvel that weren't in DC. Like um, it could be like somebody who's operating the newsstand sees Superman fly by really fast. Like, oh, shit, the superheroes are at it again. They could have done yeah, like, little yeah. random things like this. But they but they didn't. They did, however, find the perfect conduit for humor in the Justice League with the additions of Aquaman and Ezra Miller as the Flash. And like mm-hmm. one thing that we were talking about would makes Aquaman such a great balance of humor and action is because Jason Momoa is so fucking lovable. Oh my god, that guy is so charisma, lovable. man. He's got the is charisma that, to do everything. He has got charisma out the ass. And when you put that level of charisma with the comic relief that Ezra Miller is supposed to bring, and even kind of like a little bit of the lightning up that they did of Batman and Wonder Woman and Cyborg's got some good one-liners, like the Justice League has got the best example of like finding the appropriate conduit for humor and Mm -hmm. stuff. That's why I feel that's like the Justice League is the one that is the easiest one to fix. And it's just basically all like speeding stuff up and editing and omissions and everything. And like, I'm really happy that in the Zack Snyder version of the justice league, that Steppenwolf wasn't one of these mouthy comedian villain type people. Like he was in the Joss Whedon one and stuff. So like, the Joss Whedon thing, like having the having Steppenwolf be this guy who's like cracking jokes, it just doesn't even fit. You know, like the fact that like this alien guy would be able to have comedic timing just doesn't really do it. And like the whole him having a, a sense of humor is completely gone in the Zack Snyder version of the Justice League, which um which I got to say really, really helps that movie. So if you're going to be aiming for humor, don't go for the bad guys. Try to do it organically through the characters that, um, that you have and stuff. And that right there, I feel are the, some of the most important things to do in terms of translating the Snyderverse into a more open and more accessible kind of lighter version of a superhero franchise. I 100% agree with you. And it's not a coincidence that for the, for the cameo at the end of Peacemaker, that it wasn't, 
It wasn't Superman or Batman or Wonder Woman saying anything. It was right. Ezra Miller as the Flash and Momoa mm-hmm. as Aquaman getting to have like the comic relief moments. Yeah, having an awesome, awesome cameo at the great. end of the show. Like I know that they dropped the Justice League like earlier on in that episode, and I was like, ah, God, maybe. I, who knows? But then when you actually like, I was totally cool with the Superman and Wonder Woman shadows. Yeah, just because Ezra Miller and Jason Momoa. They brought the whole fish fucking thing that we yep. got dropped into it from an earlier episode too, and like it was just perfect. It yep. really was great fan service all around. And and those are your two conduits going forward, as you said, that have that represent the best chance, you know, for any future Justice League movie, you know, whatever that looks like. Um, you know, I have no idea um, because it's it's not Wonder Woman. Um, I, I think right. mm-hmm. I think Gal Gadot has proved that I, I like her in in. I like her when she gets to play an alien, basically. And I, I don't mean, like, literal alien. I mean someone who is new to the world. Um, it, it's, like, because I feel like that's her, like, persona, period. That, right. like, she's just not, like, a normal person. So, mm-hmm. you know, so, like, in the first Wonder Woman, and she gets to play the person who, this Amazon, who is now in the real world, it works because she's an alien right. to that world. Um, yeah. In the second movie, playing someone who has apparently lived in this world now for 40 plus years, she just doesn't work. Um, right. And I, and I think a big part of that is that I, I feel like Gal Gadot's an actress that you got to use in spurts. Mm-hmm. That you know, like, She's just better as accenting a movie than 100% leading it, but that's neither here nor there. Um, it's it's oh, funny that you mentioned that because I was I was listening to Blank Check with Griffith and David. I'm now in the Village of the Damned episode in the okay. John Carpenter, Carpenter miniseries. They have like literally the exact conversation. Like, oh, really? like oh yeah, yeah, they did. Yeah, and it, they talk about um, I can't remember who the the guest is um, during this episode off the top of my head. Her name starts with an A, but. Um, they're talking about how, like, yeah, like, doesn't she just, like, work so well with this whole, like, fish-out-of-water story and stuff? And it's just, like, yeah, it's because Gal Gadot is, like, so freaking hot and everything that, like, life is probably really different for her than a lot of people. Right, so, exactly. Like, her going into a normal scenario, it's just, like, it's almost like her playing herself. Exactly. And, and again, like, I just don't think that she is... I, I get. I hate to throw around, like, someone's a bad actor or bad actress or whatever. It, it's not that. I just don't think that... The, the way that she the way that she is the, the way that she you know she portrays her characters I just feel like it, you're she is significantly better as a supporting character as a supporting actor supporting piece definitely dude yeah this and that's why I feel like after watching Zack Snyder Justice League she was just like so much more effective in mm. that s- smaller role than she was in Wonder Woman 1984 where she was on camera for almost three hours yep yep exactly um, I like it, and we had we had a similar thought because I was thinking about Superman too, and okay. I, we need to get it back in tone. I mean, obviously, the whole point is here to get a, a lighter tone to it, but I, I want to get the tone. You know, I don't want to go so light that it's like Lois and Clark, um, right? Which was you know very much a comedy um, with with you know an action adventure comedy. Um, yeah. I don't want to quite go there, but I want to get to back to Christopher Reeve's Batman. Or Batman, Superman. I want to go yeah. back to the 1970s Superman. Because, to me, first off, it's... You know, everyone kind of talks about... Whenever we have those conversations about who's going to be the next Batman, and they, they kind of... We compare Batmans to one another. I Has anyone been better than Christopher Reeve? It's a, I don't think so. Like, I, I, mean, I, like, I love Henry, I like I love Henry Cavill, but I, I don't think anyone's ever topped him. No. Um, 
and he plays it he plays it the right way that like Christopher Reeve had it the right way that like sir he's this he is this sort of you know he is, he takes his duty very seriously as Superman but like he kind of is almost he's almost I don't want to say childlike but he's much more interested in experiencing the world as a human being too and yeah. that kind of le- that kind of leads him closer to what humanity is and mm-hmm. being the beacon of humanity that like Superman is supposed to be so instead of going forward, instead of having Superman undergoing this lifelong existential crisis um, about who he is and what does it mean and like, should I be a hero? Should I not be a hero? No, be a hero. But then like when you are Clark Kent, that's your opportunity to explore just being a regular person, you know, whether it's falling in love, whether it's, um, you know, like just doing the day to day, having a day to day job, like whatever mm-hmm. it is, forming personal relationships it just needs to be lighter in tone in the way that the original Superman was light in tone. Oh, of course, dude, definitely. And like where Henry King is almost like too slick as a Clark Kent, you know, to match what Christopher Reeve did in terms of like the lightness and everything. Mm-hmm. Like if there isn't much of a um, sense of exploration on the human side of Clark Kent um, in the modern Superman and stuff like it's, that. It's Whereas, all about how is this alien fitting in here? As yes. A, as opposed to how can I be a human and fit in here? Yeah, ex- exactly. Like they don't ever really like get into this stuff with Henry Cavill like at all. And I think it might actually kind of help to see him try to like, pay his cable bill over the phone or something or like, you know, have some kind of stupid kind of everyday experience that like human beings have. But he has the human experiences, but a lot of them are really, really deep in everything. Like it's love. It's your connection to your family. It's the fact that you had to watch your father die and stuff like that. How am I going to fit into this world? But there's nothing in there that is like truly light in terms of audience stuff. And even when they do go for comic relief, they go for the examples of like what happens in the beginning of man of steel when he's in the bar and the guy goes to push him, but he can't push him and stuff. And Mm -hmm. it's like, it's like, yeah, you know, that, that, that's, that is funny, you know, but it's not necessarily like the comic relief that we got from the Superman movies um, in the 70s and 80s. Yeah. I, I, want, I just want like one quick scene. He and Lois are signing a lease on a new car and the, and the, and the salesman's just being a dick. And yeah. like he's sitting there contemplating like just, you know, using his laser eyes to fucking cut his desk in half or something. And it's like, right. it's like Lois is like, no, you can't like we're we can't do this now. You have to sit here and take it because that's what everyone else in society does. We sit here and take it until until we leave. Yeah, that's exactly right, dude. Like stuff like that that you know actually makes him feel more human instead of just appearing as yeah. human. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you know, let's let's stick here. Uh, let's stick here with this, Chema. If you were to reboot um, one of these uh, one of these movies, was was super or was uh, the Justice League your idea for the reboot too? Like, in terms of the like uh, the um like in terms of oh like for the next category you mean uh, or for for like I I mentioned before that like oh. we're gonna give our own rebooted version oh yeah so like in my rebooted version it would be Batman Superman like gotcha. that's the that's the one that like even to this day I keep going back over it and I'm like like originally like I thought the movie was going to age like well it's aged a little bit better but it hasn't like aged like wine and everything and i think a lot of batman superman's aging well is kind of predicated by the fact that the joss whedon justice league was so horrible and then the Zack snyder justice league was as good as it was so that's Mm -hmm. why i think 
Batman Superman right now gets a little bit of like some artificial inflation. But dude, I would on top of like some of the things that I had just mentioned, like I would actually do a lot of different things with this movie. Like I, I don't even really know if I would have them all out fight each other. Like, I would still have Doomsday in the movie, but like I would kind of have them just okay, like we can't fight. Now we have to have like face a greater threat, which happens, but it happens after this fight scene with a very, very unusual climactic moment that I still just like get over with the Martha moment. Yeah. It's like, man, there's just so much to unpack there, but like, you know, they could really lighten up, like even like with the fight scene and stuff, like Batman, Superman and wonder woman, like going after doomsday and everything. There's like, there's even some room to have that be a little bit lighter in terms of three heroes going after this big monster and stuff. Mm -hmm. But they completely botched the thing with the monster. It should have just been doomsday. You know, he's here, he's out of the spaceship and now he's on the world to cause damage. And it's these kind of links that they artificially created between the characters that just aren't there in the comics and um, by keeping it more to the comics, I think you could kind of like take away some screen time from Jesse Eisenberg. You could take actually like a lot of it away from Jesse. I'll just recast Jesse Eisenberg entirely here. Um, and you can maybe like focus in on like other other parts of the story that allowed the brakes to be pumped on all this drama stuff to just have like some lighter moments. Like Superman can still have some lighter moments with his mom or with Amy Adams and everything like that. Like Batman could have some lighter conversations with Alfred. There's still like this whole thing about Batman, Bruce Wayne being this ultra rich dude in like Gotham city, which is like crime ridden as hell. So like somewhere in there, there's definitely some elements for humor, whether it's Bruce Wayne, the rich guy trying to call the cable company, whatever the hell it is, him being a little bit more human. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of room for it, for that in there as well. So like, Batman vs. Superman is just it's going to be one of these things that I think like I will continuously ponder until like the day I die because especially after seeing some of especially after seeing the latest Batman which I also really 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 loved it one thing that I got out of the um most recent Batman is kind of like this feeling that I just feel that like I'm totally not I'm just not all that satisfied yeah, I think there's more to the Ben Affleck thing, which I know we'll get in the Flash movie, but we have to wait a year for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that. Um, a chum, I'm going to turn a different direction, though, for this one. And okay. I'm going to go, I'm going to reach back into the DCEU before it was even the DCEU. And a character mm-hmm. that I feel like they just missed the mark on entirely, um, that that they've they have since tried to sort of rehabilitate in a meaningful way. Um, and that is the character of John Constantine. Yeah. They really missed the mark on that first Constantine movie. That it, it is just way too buttoned down and serious. Like, it, it's it's way too straightforward. And it's the, like the definite... It kind of is weird because, again, it predates a lot of these movies by, what, like eight, nine years? It's a while before they yeah. really started dabbling into the dcu that's yeah. for sure so and but it's weird because it, it feels like it's almost if you didn't know it feels like it's almost in the exact same tone as the ones that would come in 2015 16 17 about that time mm-hmm. um i mean literally almost the exact same tone so it's like there was a, maybe there was like an unoffic- unofficially the constantine was the tone setter and it's just way too straightforward way too dark for I mean I, I get it like it's this is a, a a person who can fucking like conjure and talk to demons and shit, but that is fucking silly, 
And mm-hmm. the character of John Constantine in the comic books is radically different than yeah. what Keanu is portraying. We are talking in a cult dabbling rock star anti-hero who hates authority and uses magic and fucks everybody. Yeah. So like they've they've tried to incorporate that in the more recent versions of John Constantine on both his own show and now he's part of the Arrowverse and a bunch of sh- whatever. Um mm-hmm. so they tried to like retcon that a little bit to sort of make him very much like an anti-hero and make him very much more rough around the edges. And like I, I think I think this is one of those characters that deserves a do-over in movie form. And if I could if I could dream cast it, Chema, I would turn the clock back about ten to fifteen years and have David Tennant play Constantine. Ooh, that's a good choice. I fucking love David Tennant. Like that is a really, really solid choice. And also with this whole Constantine thing too, because um this is a this is a character that um has seen a lot of love in recent years because I believe he is, he's appearing on the current DC shows and everything. Yes. Yeah. He pops into a lot of them. And his portrayal on these shows is like, it's hailed a little bit more in terms of Keanu's performance, even though Keanu with his more recent kind of levity and levitation into the stardom that he has, the Constantine movie of Keanu has started to pick up a, a more modern cult following. And um, right. Right. I, I will tell you like, it's kind of a letdown that they didn't do more with this character because they were getting ready to do a justice league dark that at one point in time had Guillermo mm-hmm. del Toro attached to it. And Constantine was going to be a member of this yep. justice league dark, which this whole justice league dark thing plus Guillermo del Toro to me just equals cinematic gold. But unfortunately it never amounted to anything. And um, it would have been cool to like have Guillermo give his take on the specific character. Cause I guarantee he would hit it pretty much uh, like in the same vein as what they do in the comics. Yeah. When it, when it comes to, I mean, Guillermo del Toro has adapted comic book stuff very well already. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, so there's that. And then just in terms of boy, what, what, who do you, what director would you trust to sort of take on the dark macabre sort of world of the occult and demons and stuff? Who else but Guillermo del Toro is yeah. really good at that? So like that 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 almost seems like a no brainer. So of course we're never going to get it. <laughs> yeah, of course. No, that's for sure. And even like even like these dudes like Aster and Eggers, like for as great as they are, I don't think that they would really be able to capture some of like the, mm-hmm. the nuance and humor of it. It'd probably be an amazing horror film. Uh, but I don't know if they would be able to capture the characters the same way as Guillermo del Toro I, would. I agree. The the sort of I, I just you know just real quickly thinking about like the template of like Hellboy or something, like mm-hmm. I that that's just not something that anyone besides del Toro can do. Yeah. Oh, ex- exactly, dude. Exactly. All right. So how about uh, how about a TV show that needs an injection of fun? Okay, dude, like I'm going with the show Gotham on Fox here mm-hmm. and um, a couple different reasons. The first reason is, is that um, this show Gotham is going to be completely eclipsed by whatever this HBO Gotham TV show that they're going to come out with. Like it's HBO. It's going to be better. Just hands down. It's going to be better. So in terms of the Gotham police department, without even seeing the HBO show, I have, a, I just know that like what, that's what I'm going to associate with in terms of the Gotham PD. And it wasn't like Gotham on Fox was horrible. Mm-hmm. It's just like, 
they kind of fell into some of these traps that a lot of these shows do, which is just like, we're just going to load it up with every single fucking character. It doesn't even matter. Right. Yeah. Like we, what's wrong with seeing another fucking Joker and all this other stuff. So the, um, the Gotham TV show is, is, is also the, the, the example that I'm going to talk about here is as far as injecting some fun into, and I've decided to go a whole other goddamn take on it. And we are going to go Gotham 911, where it's basically Gotham, but it's Reno 911. And this is totally, hear me out on this one because Donald Logue, he's, done some pretty good stuff in like a semi-serious capacity Mm -hmm. but he's a comedic actor dude yes the bullock character being the dangle of gotham 911 that's just like right there like Mm -hmm. that almost like writes itself and everything and ben mckenzie could still be like the straight guy next to him you know like they just had the contrast of the goofy guy and the straight guy and they could go around to all of the different gotham villains each episode and have their they could have their own little like storyline you know like the penguins mad about something like, you know, the ice cream truck that goes around the neighborhood stopped running or whatever it was. And now he wants, he's on a murderous thing to do something with the ice cream. They can have something with the Riddler. They could, even though it's not my preference to have the, the Joker in the show, they could do something with the Joker, the court of owls. There's all these different characters that they could take and like humorify almost the way that, um, the, the way that they're doing with the superheroes in this like dog superhero movie that's coming out where Keanu yeah. Reeves is Batman and stuff. Mm-hmm. So they could kind of just take all that and have a fun, awesome time with these really obscure and out there comedic takes on already established villains in, um, in the Gotham universe. I, I love this so fucking much because I, I've been... The thing about Gotham, what, what really kind of turned me off to it is just how fucking dreary looking it was yeah. and how every storyline was just like, it, they're just so depressing. Um, yeah. That and that, and I've, I've, I've mentioned this before. I, it's, it's not that I need this necessarily, but it's something that bothers me about that show. I don't know what year it is. Yeah, I know. It could yeah. be 1968. It could be 2038. I don't know. Yeah, no, you. I really cannot stand that. Like that is something that's really started to bug me, and it's a little bit in the new Batman too, because I heard it was supposed to take place in the '90s, but yet there's cell phones and USB ports, and mm-hmm. but everything still looks kind of old at the same time. So those things really like confuse the hell out of me, and like it's not necessarily that it's unbelievable. It's just a weird ass contrast when people have like a smartphone and everything behind them is dark, old and Gothic looking. Exactly. We're in these, like we're in like in Gotham, like we're in these, some of these like old, like the, the Gotham police station looks mm-hmm. like it's ripped straight from like the 1970s. And right. then they have to go stop someone who's using like some kind of like atomic weapon that is mm-hmm. only activated by like a heartbeat or like it uses DNA encoding. And I'm like, what the? So yeah. why, why don't you guys have fucking TV screens and shit in your fucking police office? Do you have a computer in here? No, you don't. You don't have a single one. What year is right. it? Right. Yep. Yeah. Exactly, dude. Yeah. It's so unusual. And like those kinds of things, people notice that kind of stuff. And like it causes a little bit of a disorientation in the audience when you're not able to put those two things together. Exactly. Exactly. It's just it, one of those things that frequently bothers me, but. I'm glad you're going this route because I think I do think that anything Gotham centric because of because of how much how many years of mythology that has built up behind it 
in comic books and TV shows and movies and everything else, popular culture, that there's so much room to maneuver that like a comedy like you know Gotham nine one one would totally mm. fucking fit. I mean, yeah. I don't think you, I don't think you get ten seasons out of it, but like, wouldn't that be like a great fucking ten episode miniseries? Yeah, just something way out there and different. Like they tried to do something like this with a show that was on NBC, where like um, it takes places like the disaster control uh, yes. unit and stuff. Po- powerless. Powerless. Yes, that's yeah. right. Yes, pow- powerless. Yes, and like they they tried to do something like that, but it just like didn't hit. You know, so if they were to have more familiar characters in this completely outlandish situation, like that's what I think would people would watch that. And like the way that some of these intellectual properties are going and believe me, I know that they're just going to keep remaking stuff to death and to death and to death, but like they may pump that well, pretty dry to the point where you're, you may just be left with these kinds of options where it's just like, Hey, like let's just take them and throw them into absurdity. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, At some point in time, we're going to have a, we're going to have a, um, we're gonna have uh, the recycling is gonna hit, so we're, we have like a Jackass Part Eight, and it's all the mar- and it's just like a, a spoof with all yeah. the all the you know various superheroes in right. in some variety of Jackass situations. Oh, we're yeah, getting there. That's, yeah, that's exactly right. Watch Thor take a baseball bat to the nuts. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, Fat Thor too. It's got to be Fat Thor. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> but no, you're right. And I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna. This isn't the one that I think needs an injection of fun. This is just one that I would reboot and kind of present as new. You, you and I have the same, very similar idea here, but I'm going to go with the um, with the Batman Rogues Gallery of Villains series, okay. and kind of make it an anthology. So each episode is like like the first episode. We're going to follow where the excuse me each episode where the villain is the focus, and it's mm-hmm. much more like the 1960s Batman. It, yes. It's we're going straight comedy. So we're going to have like an episode with the Joker, which starts with the Joker formulating his plan getting everything in place and then like Batman and Robin or if it's just Batman it doesn't really matter I'm just think, again, thinking along with the 1960s Batman and Robin are like characters that drop in like in the second act after mm-hmm. we've already gotten the ball rolling on how the Joker is going to like you know unfurl his plan and then that's when like the comedy comes in like we we have them thwarting the plan and then the Joker's got to go back to the drawing board so they thwart right. another plan the Joker's got to go back to the drawing board again and try to get you know get through it and then Next week, we'll do the Riddler. Week after that, we do the Catwoman. But, like, they're going to be the comedic focus of everything. And you could just load this up with character actors, comedians. Those are going to be all your villains. It almost doesn't even matter who plays Batman and Robin. Like, we're never going to see them as Bruce Wayne and Dick Grayson. We're only going to see them as Batman and Robin. And we're going to see the everyday lives of the Joker trying to negotiate with, you um, you know, Carmine Falcone for 400 pounds of dynamite. And like the the situations that might arise from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm telling you, dude. Right then and there, that is something totally different, and that would definitely work. It really would work and stuff. And you could tell the story almost like a uh, like almost like a wildy coyote versus like the Roadrunner type situation, where just something Ex- comes along exactly. and foils every single one of their plans. Like yep. uh, it'll have this like Tucker and David versus Evil kind of vibe to it, and, and yep. everything where the audience has to eventually be in on the joke at some point in time. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, like I, I'm honestly like, I'm thinking of like the Joker, like in Pinky in the Brain and stuff, where they try to take over the world, exactly. they somehow fuck exactly. up. And, and then and just, then just and doing it again. Exactly. Batman swoops in, defeats him real easily. And it's like, and then you see him, you know, covered in smoke, marching out of an explosion, like, oh, that damn Batman. Um, yeah. Back to the drawing board. Right. Same thing we do every night, Riddler. Try to take over the world. Exactly. Exactly. I just, I, I really think that 
because because Gotham came along when it did, um, off the tails of of um, you know of Nolan's Batman trilogy, um, that it it just spoiled any chance for us to have a comedic Batman at some point in time. Spoiled totally. Yeah. Oh yeah, exactly, dude. And like we, you know, I know like they're going ultra dark with the, the character and everything. I, I got, I like the movie. I got to see it again. Like I, there was just a lot going on in this movie for three hours, but um, like I'm not seeing any inclination to make Batman less dark anytime soon. So it is only going to be a matter of time before somebody's just like, man, we just can't do the, the darkest thing. It was like, how dark is he supposed to fucking get? You know, it's going to be a rated X movie now. So they are going to end up having to go in this direction at some point. <laughs> Batman's dick is just out all the time. Yeah. <laughs> right. And like yeah. He starts his day by just killing a random Gotham citizen. Yeah, that's exactly right, dude. The, the, man, the whole dark. The the suit is designed specifically so he doesn't have to have any kind of effort to go to the bathroom. Just like let it all hang out yep. and fl- flop around and Batman stuff. Just, yeah. Batman just pissed all over the place and left. Yeah, man, and that guy's he went, dark. He went back to his militia where where all his guns are and everything too. Just angry as hell. God, yeah, it, it's it, yeah. We could we really can't go any darker at this point with with the Batman character or really most most of DC's characters and. That's why I'll, I'll round this. I'll round back here and say this is why I think this is a huge missed opportunity here. Even though I've now sat and watched three seasons of it, um, Titans is trying mm-hmm. way too hard to be dark and dramatic. Way yeah. too hard. And, yeah, it's yeah. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, um, go ahead if you want. Oh, I was just going to say that they're definitely working way too hard. And there are times where I feel like they don't really know what they're doing because there are dramatic tonal shifts. Yes. It's not like gradual ease into the serious stuff with the comedy. I mean, you're looking at, you'll have one scene where Jason Todd beats the shit out of somebody to the pulp. And then like the next scene is, um, is the rest of the Titans all playing some kind of game where they're trying to like build team unity. Right. Exactly. It's very tonally inconsistent. Um, and if anyone out there is unaware, cause again, one of the lesser, one of the lesser seen kind of DC properties, um, these are the teen Titans are all grown up and they fuck and they fight each other. They swear a ton. They kill people. Um, it's it, like, it's fine. Like I, okay, great, fine. They're all grown up. But like for me, some of the best moments of the show are where the stakes are low, the situations may be a little odd, and they're kind of joking and having fun with each other. The, yeah. Those elicit legitimately some of the best moments. And I think one of the big problems is that you have... I guess I don't have, like, a problem with Bretton Thwaites as, like, your lead, but, like, he does not have any comedic chops whatsoever. No. And yeah. you're kind of side... You're, you're pushing... He, he plays Dick Grayson... The adult Dick Grayson, and you're putting his stories and motivations ahead of, like Anna Diop plays Starfire, um, mm-hmm. Alan Richson plays uh, plays Hawk, uh, Ryan Potter. Um, these are the reasons I'm highlighting these people. Ryan Potter plays Gar Logan, and Connor Leslie plays Wonder Girl, and those are the ones with comedic chops. Their mm-hmm. scenes they elicit, they continuously elicit um, laughs from me. They continuously are good at sort of playing. You know, playing um, playing the situation, you know, in a, in a comedic way where they're kind of confused or thrown off, but you know, still trying to stay on task. And Brenton Thwaites cannot do that. Like that's just not what he does. There's no comedy there. So you're sidelining all of them to be more serious when they should be pumping up Alan. Well, I guess it's, 
spoiler alert, kind of doesn't really matter for Alan Richardson at this point. Um, but um, that's all I'll say there. But they should have had more investment into into Alan Richardson's character, into Ryan Potter's character, because they're funny and like they just they have they know how to work the comedy out of any scene. Yeah, it's like when you watch those, there's like a very natural kind of flow to them. And like even when Dick Grayson goes from being all like twisted and stuff to semi lighthearted, it just doesn't really work. There's mm-hmm. not a lot of um, there's not a lot of range there. Like he plays the tortured soul perfectly. But when we're looking for some levity, it's just not there. And it's almost like he's like kind of sandbags some of the other cast and also kind of sandbags some of the opportunity to have these characters together more. Yeah, yeah, it's. It, it just it needs adjustment. It needs significant adjustments, um, and I think that I wouldn't be shocked if because apparently they there is a fourth season coming. Um, so I wouldn't be shocked if they because this this past season I don't know how far along you are into it or not. Um, I finished it. I'm done. Yeah. Okay, good. So then the the whole Alan Richardson thing, you know exactly what I mean. Um, yep. Plus, also he's on a different show, and there's no way he's going back for anything other than a cameo. Um, <laughs> but but like you know, so this past season they introduce. Um, Starfire's sister and like she plays it much more straightforward too she has little moments of comedy but you can see how how Anna Diop Starfire is good at playing good at playing a little bit more comedy than Mm -hmm. the woman who plays her sister like you you can just see it and you're kind of like I'm kind of like shit I wish she had more moments to be funnier than forcing her into the seriousness of the the storylines that follow around Dick Grayson yeah, I'm telling you, you do get a lot. You do get a little bit better um, idea of what she's capable of when you pair her next to her sister, who's a little bit more like wooden and less uh, less of a range. The um, the woman who plays her sister, Damaris Damaris Lewis, I think is her name. It makes sense. She's a model. She's not. I mean, mm-hmm. she is an actress, but I mean, like her background solidly is a model until recently. So that kind of yeah. makes sense. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> but yeah, just that that show would be that show would be I think that show would be very very I would have more fun with that show if it did lean more into the hey, we're just we're just some young we're just some young people fighting each other fucking having fun, having a good time protecting San Francisco, nothing's too serious. Yeah, I know, right? It, they would the show would write themselves it was just them having fun. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh all right, so I don't have anything left for this one. Chum, any other final thoughts about making DC more fun? Other than they kind of need to start thinking about doing it because this darkness thing, I don't think it's going to, it's not going to last as long as, I don't think that there's going to be this like super big drive for dark superhero movies. There will be a place for them, but it's not going to be like all of a sudden the world wakes up. It's just like everything should be dark as shit. So I think that they need to kind of learn, learn to have a little bit of fun every now and then. I totally agree. And I wouldn't be surprised um, in, you know, whatever the next Batman movie is. Um, I would not be surprised if they do try to go sort of um, sort of the Joker route in the fir- from the very first movie. If they don't try to mm-hmm. get someone in there who is going to be erratic and kind of fun to play off the darkness. Yeah, yeah exactly, dude. For sure. All right. That's it. Um, we are done with this particular mini-sode. And uh, we will uh, check, check me and Chum out on social media. You can find uh, The Occasionalist wherever you find podcasts. And we will see you next time.